Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 112, with Dexton Debery. And welcome to episode 112 of Makers of Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. My guest for this episode is an award-winning filmmaker, producer, writer, creative director, and entrepreneur. Most importantly, he's a storyteller. From working in entertainment and production and some facet for 20 plus years to the 2008 James Bond movie Quantum of Solace to writing, creating, and producing branded content for Nike, Jordan, MLB, Wilson, MLS, and more. The through line of his career has been at the intersection of advertising and entertainment. His recent work includes the award-winning documentary about the Jordan brand, Unbanned, the legend of the Air Jordan 1. He also just wrapped up production of Promised Land, a docuseries that followed the 2019-2020 NBA Rookie of the Year, Ja Morant, shout out to Murray State here in Kentucky, by the way, um, on the journey of his rookie season, including the ups and downs of the unprecedented bubble season. I'm very happy to welcome aboard the podcast, the founder and chief creative officer of Falcon in Santa Monica, California, Dexton Debery. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, man. Good to be here. So, Dexton, I, I typically like to give listeners a, a bird's eye view of someone's career beginnings just to kind of set the stage, so to speak. Um, you know, if you, if you think about it, our careers aren't very linear. Some of us start off knowing what we want to do and we, and we kind of focus from the get-go. And then for some of us, it takes time and life experience. Uh, I've obviously done my research on you and, and you've admitted previously that in, in other interviews that you weren't a very focused high school student, but you did find a way to college. Um, so I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your origin, where you grew up and kind of what you were like during those primary school years. Yeah. Um, oof. <laughs> I'll try to try to keep it short and sweet. Um, you know, I grew up in Florida for the most part, um, moved around a little bit, but, uh, but spent most of my time in Florida and, you know, I, I, my father wasn't in my life, you know, much as a, as a kid or actually at all. Um, and, you know, that really had a pretty profound impact on me. I, I was fairly kind of directionless and, you know, didn't have a lot of discipline and, and sort of skipped over and missed out on a lot of the kind of basic life fundamentals, you know, what it means to, to be, a, you know, a young man, a boy and, and turning into a young man. And, um, those sort of typical kind of life building blocks. Um, I kind of had to figure out on my own um, and pulled from a lot of uh, the wrong examples along the way. Um, And, you know, that, that, that really, I think was sort of my foundation. And it wasn't until I got into high school and, um, and, and found the sport of wrestling that, um, that really, um, I got my life together at that point, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the sort of discipline and the, the values that a, a tough sport, any sport, but a tough sport like wrestling kind of imparts on you, um, was exactly what I needed to, to, to help me sort of find my way, if you will. Very cool, man. So, so, um, 
alternatively, I guess for me, I was a, a pretty good high school student, but a bad college student. <laughs> uh, I, I ended up, I ended up with like a two six, uh, and pretty much anything but my art courses. I didn't really care for. Um, I, I did, however have this moment my senior year where something clicked and I began to really consume everything that I could about graphic design. It was my, I sort of discovered that it was my passion. I wanted to be a good designer, wanted to be a good career person. And from that moment forward, uh, forward, I really read as much as I could get my hands on. I consumed as much content I could from that industry. And it's my understanding that you had a very similar life-changing moment for you in college. So I'm curious if you could fill listeners in on that. I did, yeah. I, uh, you know, I was I I was working hard in in college, uh, much more than I did in high school, for sure. I I just uh, went into college kind of feeling like uh, you know I had a second chance at education and and life success, and and sort of wanted to take it seriously. But I really didn't, you know, I wasn't passionate about anything uh, in particular. And I was I was an athlete, and I was you know sort of into sports and into training and eating and that was the foundation, but, um, I didn't really think that's what I wanted to kind of do with my life. I wasn't really sure. Um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I had, I had, I injured myself, uh, first in a fight and then, <laughs> and then a short time later when I was recovering in the gym, I tore my shoulder and, you know, that kind of put me in this place where like I, I before that I was a total meathead You know, I was always in the gym, you know, I was, you know, I was always, just training and eating was like a big part of my life. And so when I injured myself, I, I, I sort of found myself a bit lost, you know, not really kind of sure, like that was my passion. Uh, and that was kind of gone, you know, it's taken a bit um, for better part of a year. I had my shoulder in a, in a sling and had to get it rebuilt and it just sidelined me. I couldn't do anything. So during that time I was, you know, in this space of just kind of not, you know, being, being really lost and not sure who I was and where I fit in and, and what kind of defined me. And, uh, I was sleeping, uh, one night in the middle of the night, I woke up and went to my closet kind of instinctively pulled this, this blank notebook out and wrote a poem. Um, went back to sleep, woke up the next day and was like, Holy shit. What, you know, was that a dream? Like what, what, you know, did I, did, did, did that actually happen? And I went and I pulled the notebook down and I read this poem that I wrote and it just, it, it changed my life. You know, I, I was not a poet. <laughs> I wasn't a very literary guy. I didn't read a lot. You know, like I, I didn't consider myself an artist, but you know, it didn't even, didn't even register for me like at, at all. And yeah. so when I read it, I was just, it was so, it punched me in the gut and really literally changed my life. I, 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 from that point on, I wrote every day I read, you know, insatiably, like couldn't get my hands on enough, you know, books and knowledge. And, and at that, like the writing, the poetry and sort of expressing myself, I guess for, you know, is, is really kind of what it came down to is started to take shape and form into saying like, okay, if I could bring these words to life somehow, and, and, and that translated to, to pictures and moving pictures. And I came, you know, sort of fell into this idea of like, well, maybe I should, you know, maybe I could be a director. Maybe I could sort of make stories visually, you know, from, from things that inspire me and writing that inspires me. And, and once I got on that train, like that was it, like that, that, you know, I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. And 
nothing was going to stop me. And I just went full force ahead. That's very interesting, man. So I actually had, uh, there's another guest that I had about a year ago um, who's in the motion design space. Are you familiar with the company called Already Been Chewed? No. It's like a 3D design uh, kind of animation thing. The founder's name is Barton Damer. Um, anyway, so so he was a skateboarder and he got injured um, and had to have some type of a surgery. And then it was a kind of a similar sort of story. Like, um, it's interesting how these moments kind of hit us, whether it's through an injury or whatever. And it was like, basically he had no choice. He was laid up in a hospital bed. So he was like, he started to teach himself after effects, right? And yeah. kind of got into things that way. So I am curious. I don't know. I've, I've obviously heard this story before, but I don't know that anyone's ever done the deep dive. Like, d- what was the poem about? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was called, um, Who Am I? Uh, that, that was the name of it. And it was, uh, it was basically, uh, you know, an, an inquiry into who I was, you know, what, like what, what made me me and where, where my identity was. And, and it was sort of starting the, the a journey, if you will, or a search um, to sort of answer that question. Um, right. So, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was very like fundamental and, and, uh, pretty deep and, and pretty inquisitive in terms of just like, you know, who, who, who am I? You know, I just like was sort of, what were you majoring in at the time? Did you change all that afterwards and sort of really start to pursue f- like filmmaking? From yeah. A, from like a, I don't think I had a major at the time. I was just sort of, I was kind of trying to figure it out. I was kind of, you know, sort of, right. I was, I was a sophomore. Um, but yeah, a- after that, I just, I, I, I got this idea of making films and, 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 re- you know, learned about film school and what that entailed and then just did everything I could to, I transferred schools and, and just dedicated my whole life to that and, uh, and, and finagled my way, my way into film school. And- yeah. Well, and it's, 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 uh, it's quite interesting too, from just like a time period perspective, because I would, I would imagine that at that time, it's not like today, these kids, right? You get a brand new iPhone. Like it's, <laughs> you go out there and you just film some stuff, right? Like you actually needed equipment and like space and, and these types of things. So it's the barrier to entry back then just seemed like it would have been insane. Yeah, it was. And, you know, we were shooting on 16 millimeter Bolexes and splicing, you know, actual film and gluing it together and, you know, all very, very old school, which was cool. And, you know, like I'm pretty grateful to, to have sort of been on the very tail end of, you know, sort of innovation and before everything became digital. And, and it, it was like, it took a lot of effort. Um, you know, I had to, I had to check stuff out at the school and we had to buy our own film stock. And you know, it was, there was a lot, you couldn't just say, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go and shoot. Like you had to rent all this equipment and, you know, you had to buy the film and do all these things that like, yeah, I didn't have a phone that I could just pop stuff off. I had to, I had to plan right. like a proper production, even, you know, even as a student, but, uh, but you know, it also laid the foundation for resourcefulness and finding a way to f- just figure it out. Right. So I did read that after college, you ended up kind of floating around to various companies as like a PA and a, and a writer. And so a PA, I have a lot of designers listen to this. So, um, a PA is basically a production assistant. Um, but a lot of it seems like uh, that it was basically grunt work, and you, but you you also were able to glean a lot from those years, including what what I believe, um, having sort of studied your 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 past and and you know listened to interviews with you and this type of thing, is that you started to really form this multidisciplinary skill set. Um, that's something that I believe in very hardcore. Um, and so I'm curious if you could touch on that period of your career and potentially discuss the importance of 
trying many different things, learning multiple skills and how it, how that actually sort of like may have changed your perspective in your creative career. Yeah. Um, big time. You know, it's, it's, I look back now and, and, and the, the sort of path that I took was, is, was so unorthodox and, you know, seemingly unplanned and almost, you know, seemingly like hodgepodge and, and kind of like misguided in a lot of ways. But yet when I look back on it now, it's, you know, it's, it makes perfect sense, right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But, you know, for me, it was like, the, it was this perfect series of sort of like destiny and fate and happy accidents and, you know, wrong turns and detours and mistakes, all these things were like the perfect stepping stone to, you know, who I am right now and, 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 and how I came to be and how I sort of formed, my, you know, what it is that I do. You know, coming out of film school, I, I was, I was, I was obsessed with the idea of just being a screenwriter like that. Like I didn't have any interest in directing. I didn't like being on set. I didn't, you know, I just, I've like abandoned it. Like I fell in love with writing and I was like, I, you know, I, I, I really want to write, learn, you know, learned about directing and learned that in school, but writing really kind of took off um, as, as at least my passion. And so like, I was very fixed on the idea of like, I got to be a screenwriter, like no matter what. And so I wrote all the time and for some illogical reason thought, you know, I needed to get paid and, and get a job as a writer, you know, e- even outside of screenwriting. And so I started, you know, writing freelance journalism. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I did that for a couple of years and, and, and these basically I, like I st- articles and stuff or. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote, okay. um, I became pretty proficient in writing uh, about cigars uh, and wine, <laughs> um, which, you know, Previous to that, I knew nothing about it, but I, but I got that there was this opportunity uh, at this wine and cigar magazine um, to uh, to submit articles, and so like I wrote one just from scratch, kind of on spec, and took a flyer on it, and they responded to it, and they ended up publishing it, and that just led to a whole series of, of more articles, first for them, and then for uh, Cigar Aficionado and, and a couple of other magazines. And um, I did that for a while and really enjoyed it. But the problem that I ran into was that I would write, you know, I'd write articles all day long. And then, you know, at night I would, I, I'd go to my screenwriting and write until two in the morning or whatever. And so I was literally writing like 12 to 14 hours a day. And my brain was just like mush. Like I became really antisocial and, and was just sort of caught in my head because all I was doing is writing, you know, like nonstop. And so, I, 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 because of that, I kind of realized like, all right, I need to, I need to do something physical. I need to be in the business. And, and so I got a job as a PA to kind of mix things up. Um, and then, you know, sort of stumbled my way through, you know, coming up with the idea of like producing. And if I could learn to produce, then I could produce my own writing. And like, I had no interest necessarily in producing and, and didn't, you know, didn't want to do it for the craft of it. I really wanted to do it to, uh, to support myself as a writer and, and to have control of my writing and to, you know, to, 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 to help push it along maybe more than, than I might if, if, if I didn't learn that. And, uh, and then, you know, I happened to, to be pretty good at it and, and, uh, and that sort of almost took off, you know, more so than my writing did. And, and so I, you know, I, I went down that path and, and then that led to me running companies and, and becoming, you know, like an EP and an MD and, right. And, um, and kind of following the 
the business track almost. I was always writing. I always wrote, you know, nonstop. But, you know, a lot of it, you know, in, in sort of looking back, you know, the, the journalism and, and the PA work and learning to produce and um, learning about editorial and, and sort of different facets of things were all the ingredients that ended up sort of shaping certainly what I do now as a filmmaker, as a creative, as a, you know, as a business owner. But, uh, you know, really it was, it was sort of like, because I was so focused on this idea or ideal of what I, what I thought I was supposed to be and what I thought my life and my career was supposed to be made of. Like I almost missed like the journey along the way and the things that were actually like working for me. And it was only sort of years later where I look back and was like, wow, I'm really successful, you know, as a producer and as, as, as running a business, right. as a businessman. And I didn't, I never meant to be. Um, and it was like, dude, it's crazy. Are you familiar by any chance with the book called range? No. It's, it's, uh, so, so there's, are you familiar with the book called the sports gene? written quite a few years ago. Anyway, there's this guy, David Epstein, he wrote this book called The Sports Gene. He did all this stuff on like uh, evolutionary sort of biology and how like, you know, certain people are built one way in various areas of the world and these types of things. But he wrote this other book called Range and the subtitle is Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And so it's pretty, it's it's interesting to me, me that you're mentioning this because it's like you fit into this because it talks, the idea is that sometimes specialization um, of a skill set you know, and there's this whole like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell put in 10,000 hours is, and all this stuff is that it's kind of a false premise and that really it's those that try different things and quit and fail and then sort of like cross pollinate with other domains end up being like the most creative and the most agile and the most primed to like succeed in certain areas of life. Um, and, and it mentions these people that a lot of these generalists um, will, will become will will not have like the success of a specialist early on but in playing the long game the generalist ends up being more successful because they sort of thrive on embracing diverse experiences and being able to like think broadly yeah i mean that definitely resonates with me and i think you know i think this idea that like it's you know it was sort of literally like one day i kind of I, i i it dawned on me that like i actually you know make a living as a writer you know, among other things. But one of the things that I do on a regular basis and get paid to do is to write. And it's just not in the same like context or definition that I was so fixed on for so long. You know, like I'm not a screenwriter. I I do screenwriting, but you know, what I get paid to write is, you know, advertising campaigns and strategies and docu-series and, you know, documentaries. and, And, you know, there's some scripted stuff in there as well, but like, you know, I, I, I make a living and, and have, you know, been decently successful at writing. It's just not exactly what I had in mind and had I been sort of, and, you know, being stuck on it, this ideal that I had in my head of like what I thought I needed to be and nothing else in a lot of ways, like it was only when I kind of like accidentally let go of that idea that it sort of came back around and I was actually successful at it. But when I was sort of fixed on it and like not open to any alternative, like if someone has said like, look, you can be a writer, you're just not going to be like a guy that just writes movie after movie after movie. And that defines like what your career is. I I wouldn't have been open to it. I would have been like, no, 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 it has to be this. It has to be this. And it was, you know, sort of through again, life and happy accidents that 
suddenly, you know, on the other side of it, I, I write all the time and I love the form that it takes. And also I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be defined as just a screenwriter. You know, I love directing. Right. I, I didn't. And I didn't think that was something that I liked to do. I just sort of, it fell into my lap quite literally. Um, you know, some, some went by like, you know, the preparation that went into it, but I, but I never set out to be like, I now want to be a director. It just, I got asked to do it and I did it and I loved it and it worked. And then, you know, here I am. Well, it's, it's very interesting to me to see how writing as a discipline is, is like very important form of creativity, even if you don't consider yourself a writer. Because for me, when I was, you know, I, I'm a classically trained graphic designer and it was like, I'm only a designer. I don't write copy. I don't, I don't want to write your marketing copy or whatever. But weirdly enough, like over time, I sort of started becoming, I started doing it anyway because it just didn't sound good to me. And I kind of became like a de- what I would consider to be a decent writer over time. And then it was when I started doing this podcast that writing, I, I, I generally will tell people when they start a podcast, like a podcast is not so simple as like you just start recording something and have a conversation. Maybe for some, for Joe Rogan it is, right? But like for, yeah. for a lot of people, I mean, it's a writing project, you know? And totally. you're writing show notes, you're writing your your show outlines. And, and some of this I would imagine, you know, you're familiar with, I guess it would just cross, I'm assuming as someone that's a total like layman when it comes to video production side of things, that some of that is is true there. But um, so so later, later, uh, later in your journey, you... You got the opportunity to work at this company. Um, you you had the the very interesting opportunity to acquire the company, and and essentially, it's my understanding that it was a, a design and production company in the in the advertising world, um, which which later came to be what we under, understand to be called today as Los York. I, I don't guess that it was that at the time, but um, you uh, at that time, like many eventual entrepreneurs, kind of it seemed like you had this dream of being your own boss, right? And but for many people, um, when we don't do entrepreneurship, I mean, I didn't grow up. I grew up in a very blue collar family. I didn't understand what entrepreneurship was. I thought you had to already be wealthy to even have a start a, a small business or whatever. Um, but and you also just assume that it's this beautiful and chronological process. But the reality is, it's kind of like you just jump off a cliff and you try to build the airplane on the way down. <laughs> so um, I'm curious if you could tell us about that instance and the decisions leading up to it, as well as sort of discovering that eye-opening secret that most entrepreneurs are really trying to figure stuff out day by day, and no one has it has it nailed. Yeah, I, you know, it's similar similar to sort of like again looking like two inches to the left for a long time and like banging into the wall and not, you know, not, not going through the door. And then one day, you know, just accidentally sort of pivoting those two inches to the right and then ran through the door. But like, what I mean by that is, you know, years leading up to um, the opportunity to, to acquire a company and and it was called Stardust at the time. It was a, it it was a, it was a design firm and sort of mixed media motion graphic shop. Um, but prior to that, you know, I had spent a couple of years. I, I, I was, I was running, I was running other people's production companies. Had done quite well at it. Um, had, had, had done a couple at that time. And during that time, uh, when I was running someone else's, you know, I kept, kept sort of banging into the idea that like, you know, I have ways that I want to do it. And, you know, I, they would always sort of get upended by whoever owned the company, right? Like I only had so much say cause it wasn't mine. Um, and so like, I, you know, I was always very opinionated. I always had a lot of ideas and I, and I always, I always felt like, 
if I could do it my way, it would be better. <laughs> um, whether that was true or not, I just, you know, like it, at least it would be better for me. Um, and so like I, I wrote some business plans. I, I went out to raise some money. I did raise money. I did like a, quite a few things to like push to make that happen and spend a lot of energy and, and, and yet it wasn't really coming together. Um, for one reason or, or another, whether it was people that I was talking to or working with or, or the idea wasn't quite right, but I put a lot of energy into it, you know, while I was working and, and successfully running, you know, other people's companies. But, you know, I, I it, that was, I tried to do it for a while and it, it, it again, it just wasn't working for one reason or another. And then I, I, I really kind of stopped thinking about that. I, I got randomly reached out to one day when I was, I was out of company. I wasn't very happy. I had moved from New York to LA. When I got to LA, the, the team in LA was, was just different. I didn't have the same relationship as, as I did with the team in New York. And um, I had just had a baby and it was, it was this configuration of things that like, it was the first time in my life I was really, really unhappy. And I had only been at this company for about a year and mm-hmm. I, I quit. I just quit. I didn't have a, didn't have a backup plan. Didn't, didn't have another job lined up. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I quit. And like a day or two later, this, this guy that, that owned that, that company, Stardust, um, reached out to me and, and asked me to go to lunch and then proceeded to basically ask me if I wanted to come in and kind of be his partner, turn the company around and re-envision it. And I said no at first because, you know, I, 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 there was, I thought the company was doing worse than, than he let on. For one, um, I didn't think he was really ready to change in the way that um, he was talking about and the way that I felt like from the outside, he probably needed to. Um, and so it just didn't, didn't it fell off. And so I, I kind of turned him down and it was kind of an awkward lunch. And then, you know, and I told him, you know, the, what he wanted to do. I didn't really agree with the vision of it. I just didn't think it was going to work. And I didn't think the world really needed kind of what he was talking about it. And so, you know, he, we kind of parted, parted that lunch and it was awkward and, uh, you know, he wasn't very happy because I didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. And then a few right. weeks later, he called me and was like, everything you said, I was pretty critical because I was like, well, fuck it. I, got, I don't really have anything to lose. I don't even know the right. guy. Um, and, you know, he called me a few weeks later and was like, everything you said was totally right. And I'm willing to do it the way that you want to. Will you, will you come in and do it with me? And, you know, again, I was kind of like, do I really want this headache? You know, like... I was running like top companies and this company's in trouble and it may not last. And like, sounds like a major headache. But what I realized was it was kind of like, it sort of showed up as though it was that opportunity for me to actually like have ownership. Literally it was going to have a little bit of equity, but more, more importantly was like, I could come in and do my thing and I could put my stamp on this thing and I could turn it around. And that would be interesting to me. Like, rather than just sort of pushing a company a little bit further down the line that's already successful, that doesn't really need to be disrupted, that doesn't need to be upended or completely like re-envisioned. This was a company that needed all those things. And I thought like, well, that's as interesting as sort of starting anew because it is kind of starting anew and I, I can do, I can do it the way I want. So I did it. And I soon learned that it was uh, as much of a mess um, as I thought. And yeah. That, you know, he, 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 the, the, the owner at the time wasn't totally ready to do what was necessary. Um, 
And so we, we kind of gave it a shot for a little while. I did a lot of different things and changed a lot of things. And there was a lot of things that were working. And then there was a lot of things that kind of, you know, ran through him and that he sort of controlled that like wasn't working. And so, you know, he came to me literally, you know, on a Friday night one day and was like, I can't do this anymore. It's not working. And I'm actually the problem. Like you get it. Like you, you know, if you, if we just did it your way, it would succeed, but like, I can't get out of the way and I don't know how to do it that way. So I think you should buy the company from me or I'm just going to shut it down and kind of walk away. And so like wow. I drove home that night and I called um, uh, a guy that I didn't know very well. I had met him through the guy that owned the company at the time. And, and I knew that he had sort of been interested in buying the company or, or coming in as a partner or doing something. And so I, it was just like, it was a, the closest frame of reference I had for like somebody that might be interested in like doing it with me. And so I called them on the way home. It was like, you know, we have this opportunity to, to buy this company for not a lot of money, but a whole lot of debt and a lot of headache and a lot of problems. But, you know, maybe it's a good opportunity. And, and uh, I was like, I don't even know if I want to do it, but I got to put it out to you because like the, the ultimatum that the, the, the owner had given me was like, if you want to do it, if you want to buy the company, put a deal in front of me before Monday morning at 9am because I, I, I want to come in and sign something. And then I never want to walk in here again during business hours. I don't wow. want to be a team. I don't want to be a part of it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. And so if you can get it done this weekend, cool. And if not, then I'm just going to shut it down. And so talk to my, you know, eventual became my business partner, you know, on the Friday night. And we were like, well, let's talk in the morning. And, and, and if we want to do it, then let's, you know, let's get on with an attorney and put, put a deal together. And so we, yeah. you know, I, I went home and I talked to my wife and I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. And this just seems risky. And I had a one-year-old baby and, you know, she's like, what are you talking about? You know, this is the only thing you, this is like one of the things that you've wanted to do for years. Like, here's the opportunity it's right there. All you gotta do is just like, go for it. Like, we'll be fine. You know, we'll figure it out. So, so what we have a baby and, you know, it may drain all of our money and, put us in a bad situation, but like it's, it's the opportunity you've been looking for and this is your shot. You got to take it. Um, yeah. So good, good piece of advice. Cause it was so obvious in hindsight, but you know, sort of struggling with it. Um, and so, you know, the next morning I got on with, uh, my eventual partner and we're like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. And we wrote a contract and Monday morning at 8am went in and signed it and then announced to the team that, you know, we own the company and we're going to turn it around. Oh, wow, man. That's, that's so crazy. So it's, it's almost like, I mean, and, and I want to get into Falcon in a little bit, but um, it's almost like that seems harder than starting something sort of fresh, right? Cause you have this massive ship, this barge or whatever that you're steering when you come into that. And it's like a lot harder to turn that than it is to like a, a small lean company that's fresh, you know, and it's like to, to turn that type of thing. I'm curious how like culturally, um, you know, because I've read stories about, you know, what, what you guys did from a financial perspective and all that and how you were able to turn it around. But, but I'm really curious from a cultural perspective because these people are probably like beaten up, right? And they're like, oh, here's another guy coming. Like, who is, yeah, what is this? Like some corporate takeover. Um, you know, how did you, how did you change things culturally and kind of like get buy-in for like this new leadership, right? It's like the new coach comes in from like, from like the, the past. Yeah. Or, you know, a new, a, from, yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's twofold. One, um, I had been with the company, you know, for like six months, right? So people had gotten to know me and, and they, they saw, 
there was a visible shift, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty significant visual shift from what it was before I got there and, and, and what it was when I was there. And so like, I think people got to know me and they trusted me and, and, you know, they, they liked working with me. And I think that they, they knew what the problems were. Uh, and I think that they felt confident that those problems now being removed from the situation, um, did actually give it a shot to work. And they felt like, you know, what I was going to probably be capable of doing, you know, unencumbered, um, you know, they believed it, you know, and, and that was, that was, that was, so that was a huge part of it. And then I think the other part of it was like, you know, we, I, we were always very honest with the team, you know, about where we were about, you know, like at the time, you know, when we took over, you know, there was, there was staff and freelancers that like hadn't been paid in maybe like a month. And so like, you know, that, that was, uh, that was real. And, and, and the question of like, am I going to get paid, you know, for the next month was, you know, legitimate question and a big concern. And like, why, when, you know, why invest anymore when, you know, it's, it's not working. And we were just really honest with them. Like, we didn't really have a plan and, and we, we couldn't, you know, we spent the weekend, you know, on a legal contract, um, not a, a strategy or a plan for the business or any of that. So like we literally figured that out, you know, the day after we bought the company or acquired it. Um, and we just, we told the team, look, like we just put this together overnight and we don't have all the answers. We don't know exactly how we're going to get ourselves out of this problem, how we're going to pay you how we're going to succeed, but what we believe in is ourselves. And we know that we're going to do the right thing. We have done it before in, individually. Um, you know, we know, we know how to do good work. We know how to treat people well. We know how to, you know, work with, you know, clients and, 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 and sort of make the right decisions and do the right things. And we have faith in that. And if you guys will just bear with us a little bit and put a little faith in us, um, you know, we're committed to turning around. We're not promising you that we will. It might not work. We might fall on our faces right. in the next three or four weeks and then we're all out on the street, right? Like that's, that's real. And if you, if, if that's too big of a risk for anyone, then, you know, we're totally cool if you bail, right? Like it's, it's right. all good. There's no, no hard feelings and <clears throat> we get it. Um, but if you're willing to, you know, give us a little bit of faith and extend a, you know, extend um, you know, some blind belief, like, you know, we're, we're confident we're going to turn it around. And if we can't, we're going to, you know, we're going to fucking die trying. And they were like, okay, cool. Right. Let's, let's go for it. That's cool, man. So I am curious, how, how was that transition, uh, you know, from being, I guess what I would consider, uh, you know, a maker um, and someone that's, that's, that's kind of in the day to day of those types of things to, to now being like, uh, you know, an executive, like a business owner. And there are things that you have to think about on a day to day basis that in the past you didn't have to think about, but yet you also are very interested in this one particular thing. Right. So it's like, um, you know, people start a business and it's like, well, I'm really good at like, you know, flipping hamburgers. Right. So I start a hamburger shop, but then all of a sudden, like now you're working on the business as opposed to like, yeah. you know, you're like in QuickBooks versus like, man, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing here? You know? Yeah, big time. You know, I think, you know, what it, it was very empowering for me. Um, it, you know, I'll, I'll, an anecdote is kind of like, I remember it was probably the second or third day in 
Um, and someone came into my office and was like, Hey, you know, here's, I don't remember what the problem was, but there was a problem. They're like, Hey, so here's the problem. Like, what do, what do we do about it? You know? And I, and I remember thinking like to myself, like, I have no fucking idea. Like, I, I don't know. Like I've never, I've never faced that before. And you know, so yeah. like, but I, it's, you know, I obviously wasn't going to say that. So what I said was like, you know what, give me a few minutes and let me think about it. I'll come back to you. And they left and, and I sat there and was like, I, you know, like, how do I even come up with the answer? Like, who do I ask? You know, they're, they're you know, and, and there was no one for me to lean on or like, you know, I had a partner, but like, he didn't know either. So like, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, I don't have the answer. I'm the, I'm the one that has to come up with the answer. And yet what I, what I learned from it, cause I, you know, ultimately I was, I, I just thought about it and was like, well, this is what my gut says. So I'm just going to do that. Right. Could be, could be wrong. I have no idea, but, and, and I don't know, you know, intellectually and cerebrally, like, I don't know for sure that it's right, but it feels right. So fuck it. I'll, I'll, I'll make that decision. And I did. And like, what, why that was empowering was that what I came to learn was like, there's a myth that I think a, a lot of people have um, across industries, business, you know, whatever, in that you always feel, or at least I did, and, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, that like someone that's doing what you want to do or has what you want or has some version of success that you look up to or that you aspire to you there's this myth that you place them you know almost on this high pedestal of they must know more than me they must be you know smarter than me they must be more talented i am they must they must have more confidence than i do um you know they have more experience than i do like there's all these sort of narratives that you place on what you imagine someone else is sort of capable of or 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 you know possesses that you don't um and i think that's like one of the fundamental things that actually holds people back the most there's like that you get sort of right. crushed by that illusion of like well i'll never achieve that because i'm not smart enough talented enough you know strong enough wise enough confident enough or whatever you know or any combination of those or any one of those and what i learned you know through again, just trial and error was that like, it's actually not true. You know, like most people in leadership positions, like you, you gain experience over time. And then there comes a point where you are more knowledgeable than some people because of the experience that you had, but that doesn't even always necessarily work. You can't always lean on knowledge or experience to make the right, right. decisions. Cause sometimes it's about innovation or taking a risk or looking at something, you know, flipped upside down. And so like, what I came to learn was that like I had everything that I ever needed to, to be whatever I wanted to be. And I think that's true of anybody. And it was making decisions that were based on instinct and gut without knowing and having those pay off that suddenly made me realize like, I don't have to have all the answers. I, I, I'm as smart as I need to be. I'm as talented as I need to be. Yeah. I'm always going to work on my craft and I'm going to try to get better and stronger always. But in the meantime, that's not holding me back from success. I can be successful because I just simply believe that I can be. Um, and it, you know, for me, it didn't start with that belief. It's sort of that belief came in because I was sort of on the playing field, just going cause I had to. Um, but that, that was almost the best way for, for me to learn and for me to sort of look at it and go, you know, all those myths that I created for myself are just not true. Right. 
What's very, it's very well said is a good observation too, because I know people personally that, that are like, oh, I just want to jump out and do my own thing. But you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready. Like my finances are, you know, it's like whatever, like, and, and, and I think that that's the big difference between entrepreneurs and people that don't go be entrepreneurs is entrepreneurs are willing to take a risk that other people aren't willing to take. Yeah, you know, and totally. part of that risk is like losing everything, you know. And you did it with a kid, you know. I had already quit my job when I when I started to become a full time freelancer, and uh, fortunately for me, like I was already out in the wild, right? Like when I got married, and then we had a kid, and then I had another kid, and then I, and then I had like this this period of time where I went and took a job for a year, and I kind of got sucked back in, and I was like, I can't, I can't quit. I got two kids at home, and I'm like, dude, you just did this for like a few years with the, like with kids at home, like in blissful ignorance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, what are you doing? So, um, but yeah, but I want to get into, um, I want to get into a Falcon. So, um, you know, kind of a, a long story short to paraphrase, um, your, your, that form, that company became Los York, um, uh, became a successful company. You guys rebranded. It was a, it was a, it was a very you know, successful sort of production company story. Um, eventually you, you moved on to start Falcon. Um, and this is a brand new company. Would that be true? Yeah, it's, it's, we're, it's, we're about a year and a half old now. So okay. Okay. So so anyway, but 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 at this new company, so you've made a very deliberate decision to focus on sports brands, sports culture, and where they intersect with entertainment and advertising. And so, with this podcast being makers of sport, for obvious reasons, I'm a very big advocate of of that. Um, especially people finding an industry you're passionate about and kind of doubling down on your talents in that industry. I do believe that's that's where you find happiness, and you sort of find like your unique community and culture and like the people where you belong. But it's also, it's also very scary, right? Cause it's like, you know, not only are you starting a company or you're becoming an entrepreneur again, you're also narrowing your client base, right? In a way. And so I'm curious um, your perspective on that line of thinking and, and then also why you chose to, to pursue sport and it's, it's sort of intersection with culture. Yeah. So multi, multi-layered there, but uh, you know, for me, what happened was, you know, I, I, during the course of, of, of low short, you know, I, when I entered that, I was, I was the business guy, right. I, I, I ran the company and my partner was creative and we sort of had those roles, um, very defined for a long time. Um, and then over the years, you know, when we started branching out from being more than a production company and, and taking on, you know, brand work and, and acting more as an agency, you know, because I was a writer and the writer and my partner wasn't a writer, you know, when we would get opportunities to, to write something, um, I, it would fall on me because there wasn't anybody else. And so I did it and it worked and we were successful at it. And I, I wrote a lot of stuff and my partner would direct it or, you know, we'd, we'd hire another director or whatever the case may be because I, I wasn't a director and that wasn't really the, the thinking. And so I did that, you know, for a while and over time that, that kept evolving. And, and then I got an opportunity to write something for Jordan brand. And then they asked me to direct it and I directed it. And then that just set off a chain of events where I just became, you know, over the course of like a year, I really became um, a creative, uh, you know, back to my roots and back where I started. But like I was directing, writing and directing all the time, you know, and, and, being very distracted from running the business. And so, you know, we started, you know, we brought in an EP to, to run things and another MD and started sort of filling out the business side of the role because I was doing more and more creative. 
and along that like journey, you know, I, it was, it was, it was over the course of, of starting to make, you know, the, the film Unbanned, which was, you know, a multi-year journey for me. It was about three and a half years in the making. And early on in that process or during that process, you know, I, I really, you know, that was, you know, it was my, my first, you know, feature film was a director and my first, my first documentary piece of work ever. Like I, I didn't come from a documentary background, but the very first documentary interview I did was on set for that film. And in doing that, I really like, I, 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 I was so in love with the process and I, I really found myself, you know, it was, it was journalism. It was a little bit of producing. It was writing, it was directing, it was connecting with people. It was playing all these sort of roles that I, that I had like spent my life and career trajectory piecing together in, a, in the unorthodox mm-hmm. way that it was. And right. so I really like, I, I, I was, I just found my purpose. It was like, it was, it was in, it was in directing. It was, it was in storytelling. It was in being really immersed in the storytelling and it was storytelling around something that, you know, was a sports story that turned into a very cultural story that also had implications on, on, on um, social impact and race and, right. and sort of deeper meaning tied into all these things. And when I, when I, when I stumbled into that, I just realized like, this is all I want to do with my life. Like, I don't want to come out of this and these amazing, like really rich conversations in sport and culture and fashion and sneakers and race and, and, you know, the NBA and all these things. I don't want to come out of that and then go do a cell phone ad. Like that just was like so far (laughs) from like, you know, like it just didn't, it didn't it didn't register, like didn't compute for me anymore. Cause I was like, this is all I want to do. Like I can, I can actually have an impact on the world through this kind of storytelling. And like, this is all I want to spend my time doing. And as I started to form that idea more and more, it, you know, it, it definitely threatened what the business model was. Cause the business model was that we were sort of open for business and we did sports stuff. We did cultural right. stuff, but we also did everything else. And so the more time went on and the more convicted I became about what I really cared about and what I believed in, I realized that it was at odds with like what my company was doing and what, you know, the thing that I had started and been a part of what it was doing. It was, I was just at odds with it for, for my own, like, you know, personal belief system and, and my own sort of creative vision. And so I just realized like I had to, I had to dedicate my life to doing that and anything that was in the way of it had to get out of the way. And, you know, and so I, I realized like my partner wasn't really interested in, in, in narrowing the focus and, and committing you know, to that. Um, he wasn't opposed to it. And, you know, it wasn't like we were on different planets, but the conviction was just different. Like we were convicted about different things. And so in that, you know, I just realized like I had to do it. I had, I had to go, I had to start a company that like only surrounded itself with people that wanted to focus on that drew clients in that like did that, you know, and, and, and were from sort of a certain ilk and focused on stories that, you know, that mattered that, you know, wake me up in the morning and inspire me. And, you know, I remember when I first started, like, you know, everybody told me like, you're crazy. You can't start that niche. Like you can't just focus on sports. Even if, you know, even if, even if you capture culture around it, like, you know, you're cutting yourself off from so much possibility and revenue and client bases. And yep. Especially as <laughs> Sound, a brand new all brand. sounds familiar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, but I, I, you know, I just felt like 
if I was going to do that, then I might as well stay where I was. And it, it wasn't an option for me. Like I, I, I believe so strongly that like, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I care about. And this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to doing. And, you know, if, if it remains, you know, of a certain size and doesn't get too big because of that choice, then so be it. Like, it's not about that for me. It was like about only spending my time on the things that really matter in service of telling stories to the world that really just had an impact. And, uh, and, and, it, and it worked, you know, the clients that I work with now and the people that come into my life, you know, are attracted to that idea and only that idea. And so like, it just, it makes things very aligned. Very, things are very aligned. It's very, I, I don't, you know, I don't even get on the phone with people that like, I'm not going to get along with or that I don't share belief systems with. Like I'm never mm-hmm. on a client call, like rolling my eyes or going like, ah, oh, you know, like this is bullshit or this is that, this is that. I'm always like, yes, 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 yes. Because they're talking the same language that I talk. They care about the same things that I care about. And they're asking me for something that I absolutely know I could fucking crush and, you know, knock out of the park. Right. And and we usually do. And it's, it's also very interesting too, to see what has happened, happened with advertising, like over the past, you know, let's say 10 years. Um, where I remember, you know, I'm a, I'm 37. So I remember like when Space Jam came out and I was like in high school or whatever. Um, and, and, and like to find out later that Space Jam was basically an ad. Yeah. It's like, what, you know, is, is, uh, there's this guy, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but there's sort of this legendary advertising creator by the name of Jimmy Smith. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, very well. You know, and he's, he's kind of one of the guys that, that sort of almost seems like he was ahead of his time, right? Like he'd written for, um, uh, like uh, the NBA uh, street and like some of those sort of like uh, types of things and, yep. and really kind of bringing that culture of sport to, to, um, to the advertising industry. But it was almost like ahead of its time, right? Where it's like now there's like this hunger for people like unbanned, man. People want to watch that, right? Like people will go buy that film um, and, and people will buy. And uh, there was another documentary that came out many years ago that, that also sort of, um, blew my mind when I found out that it was basically also an ad, right? Was the, um, the art of flight, the snowboarding documentary. Are you familiar with that? No. Um, so it was just like this beautiful cinematography and there was never a mention of, it was Red Bull. There was never a mention of Red Bull in this thing at all, except it was just like a helicopter, Red Bull helicopter flying these dudes to these mountains, you know? And then yeah. you find out like, this is, <laughs> this is put on. And then, so at that point for me, it was like, this is genius, man. Like to hot, to sort of disguise something as, as advertising, because people in general hate advertising, right? Like, I mean, it's just a thing. Like, nobody wants to be marketed to all the time or whatever, but it's like, if you can find those very interesting stories and present it in a way that it's entertainment, which is what you guys have done, um, that's when that's when people will actually, you know, like for me, like I'll go to YouTube, watch an ad, a 30 second ad to watch an ad, right? It's like, <laughs> totally. it's like, so, so there's just that aspect of, of entertainment. So I am curious though, on the, on the, uh, from a, from a, again, from a, like a layman's perspective, um, I have this interest in maybe pursuing some documentaries from the podcasting side, the audio side of things. And like, I don't know, like the, the oral history of like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, I'm, uh, let's say and one or, you know, I don't know, like something. Um, what does it take from a, from like a, from like a 30,000 foot view to, to piece together one of these documentaries? Cause I know there's multiple parts. Um, is there like a consistent theme that you start with and you're like, okay, well, we want to try to, interview everyone and and conduct all of this content creation around this theme? Or do you kind of like have this, you know, very sort of vague idea and then you just like let the con- the conversations and research kind of naturally 
present itself. And then later you're like, oh, that's it. That's the through line. You know, it's kind of all of the above. For me, you know, as I think, because I started off as a writer and, and have such a deep writing background, like I always start with a, with a script, you know, even, even, in, even in the documentary space of like, you know, that script, I mean, you know, starts with sort of a concept and the concept is based on like, you know, what's, you know, what, what is the premise? What's the sort of doorway in, like, whether it's with an athlete or a moment in time, like, what is it about that, that I think is, it needs to be shared with the world needs to be told. And what about it is sort of original or hasn't been heard before. What, you know, again, whether it's a person or, or sort of an event that either hasn't been shared before or hasn't been shared quite in this light. So like finding that sort of interesting hook on something to even know whether it's worth doing um, is the starting place. But then once you've established that, like, okay, this is, this is sort of an interesting look at, at something, then I, I literally write, you know, sometimes a 30 page script that is, it's not a, it's not a screenplay per se. It's, it's more of kind of, mm-hmm. it's more of an outline than anything, but yeah. in that outline, it's, you know, there's exposition about like what I think is going to happen the people involved. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll even write dialogue. I'm like, you know, it'd be great to hear sound bites of this, or these are things I've heard before. And really kind of like map out like a loose blueprint or, you know, sometimes not so loose. Um, and that's, that's always where I start. And from that, then I break down like, okay, who's the most interesting person that can have this conversation with me? And what ingredients do I need to sort of fill in this outline or, or this story? Um, and then as I do and as I go, you know, each interview sort of sheds a new light on something or opens a door that, you know, you didn't know was there or, you know, brings something to it that sort of shifts things. And so it ends up being this like constant interplay between what you're capturing and learning as you're going. Cause you know, conducting interviews is, is as much about shooting to fill the story as it is about investigative reporting, if you will. And I kind of go back and forth between, those interviews and the outline and let them, you know, let, let the outline dictate what I'm going after in the interview, but also leave enough room and, and openness for whatever to occur. And for like my theory to be disrupted and my, my premise to be kind of challenged or reimagined in some cases. And it ends up being this sort of like dance or play between, you know, the, the, the hunch of the idea and then what ends up, sort of showing up and, and shaping it and influencing it in a way. And, you know, it continues to be that until, you know, until you lock the edit because then the editor comes in and, and looks at the outline and looks at what you shot and then brings a bunch of new shit to the table as well. Yeah. It almost seems like the people at the top, um, you know, like yourself, like you, you almost have to have like this natural intuition um, you know, because, because I listen to people that start podcasts, right? And there's people that start a podcast similar to mine and I'll listen to them and I'll, I'll just be like, man, this is just not very good. Like you guys don't know how to ask questions. You're clearly not doing any research. Like you can't even discover what the story is here from like, cause I like to, with this show, uh, in particular, I, I like to kind of like do my research on people and then sort of walk them through their own story through natural conversation, even though I've written it down. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And so it almost seems like it would be like that, I guess, uh, you know, if I could compare in a way. And so, yeah, no, that's great, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. So speaking of documentaries, 
Um, you currently are in post-production on a recently announced series called Promised Land, and it's a six-part documentary um, about the essentially the evolution of John Morant. So um, can you tell us about that film, um, you know, when we can expect to possibly view it? And then also, you know, I'm curious about the logistics of it, right? Because some of this clearly had to be shot in, like, the bubble. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so it's a, it's a six-part series, as you said. So it's a show. Um, uh, we're currently talking to, you know, a lot of the usual suspects and, and buyers and sort of navigating that right now and kind of narrowing it down to, to a couple of our top choices. Um, we'll probably make that decision here in the next couple of weeks and, and uh, announce that. But, you know, it was, you know, the premise of it was, you know, I, I've certainly spent a lot of time with, you know, legends and icons and, and uh, you know, very proven sort of success stories, you know, across sports a lot in basketball for sure, but, but, but also some in football and, and, and even soccer and baseball. Um, but, you know, it was what interested me the most was this idea that like, you know, we've heard legends, you know, all the greats kind of reflect back on, you know, either their rookie season or their early years or, or their, their whole career and what it took to kind of become, you know, what they became. And, it's, it's always very interesting, but it's also, you know, as, as we all know, like it's biased at that point, right? Like if you talk to someone that's, you know, 10 years into their career, you know, they're wealthy, they're successful, they've got championships or they, you know, have had successful seasons. They've got a brand, got endorsement deals, you know, their life is nowhere near what it was, you know, when they started, right? Like, and, and in a lot of cases, like, guys coming from really challenging backgrounds and, and poverty and, and no opportunities. And, and, and then like flip that into a world that like could not be more like diametrically different. Right. Cause now they're, again, they're wealthy. They got wealthy friends. They live, you know, a, a very different life than what they came up with. But like remembering back, especially through the filter of where you sit now is, is always going to, you know, hindsight, a is 2020, but also everyone's a revisionist, you know, historian, right? everybody. Like right, right. when you, when you remember something from last week, like you're going to tell it in a way that isn't exactly how it went down. Not, you know, even if you don't try to embellish or change it, you're just never going to remember it exactly the way that it was, you know, like you're going to have your perception of it, your romanticized version or whatever. And so like the premise was really like, Hey, could we, could we actually, tell the story of somebody's dreams coming true and their life literally changing before our eyes as it's happening, you know, before he's media trained, before he has the hindsight of success, before, you know, he's changed so much to where looking back becomes a different thing. Could, could we do that? And could we do it with someone that like instinctively, like I just felt like he had so much potential. I mean, obviously he was picked number two in the draft, but, when I started, you know, he, it was right around the draft and nobody knew who he was. You know, I would tell people about it and they'd be like, who? And, and I'd be like, don't, don't worry. You will know, you know, you're you know exactly yeah. who this guy is. And You'll see those hops. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, like, and, and the very first I shot with him, the first time I shot with him was the night before um, his first game in Miami. And so like, he wasn't, you know, he was an NBA player, but he actually had played a, a you know, pro NBA game yet. And so like, right. even just that perspective, like what's going through your head is, you know, you're, you're, you just turned 20 years old. You're like, so you're almost 19 years old. 
you're a kid, like every other kid in America right now that has the same dream or a similar dream or a dream like it or whatever the case is. But, but you, you, you're still that guy. You're not yet the guy that who's fulfilled that dream. Like, yes, you've been drafted, played a couple of preseason games, but you're about to actually live out what your dream has been since you were five years old. What's that like? Yeah. You know, what, like, what, what's that really like? Forget about like saying something cute or nice or clever or whatever. Like, what is it like? Are you scared? You know, is, is it, is it overwhelming? Is it like, you know, is what's going through your mind? And like, I asked him, I, you know, I said to him, I like, tell, talk to me as if you were talking to God or your father um, or your mother, you know, like tell us candidly, like what's everything going through your mind. And he just opened up and shared fully like, and, and, you know, kind of got choked up at the end of it. And it was like in that moment where I was like, all right, you know, like the premise is going to definitely pay off. And like this man is so special and the story is so special and it's right here. And then, you know, the rest of it, you know, unfolded. Uh, yeah. Well, and then with him, right. It's not like that, that he was LeBron, right? Like it, it wasn't, this thing could have went very South for, oh. for guys like him that come from a place, you know, the only reason I'm familiar with him is because he played in the state of Kentucky, right at Murray state. So it's like, um, you know, it's it's not like Anthony Davis that played at UK. It's like, oh, guaranteed number one pick. This dude's like, you know, all this. But and then and then another thing too, I guess from a documentary perspective, and not that anybody would wish this on anyone, but but it, from a, from at least a, um, I mean, I hate to say from a from like an, a quote unquote interesting perspective in the story is that these very contentious things happened in 2022, right? Where it's like, okay, first it's the bubble, then it's like the ra- sort of like the racial strife and these types of things. So you basically have to watch this guy, not just from a basketball perspective, but just to really, f- these are things that there may not even be an, a- be an ending to, you know what I'm saying? Like at the, you, you're going to have to like essentially wrap this thing up and obviously he wins rookie of the year. So I'd imagine that's going to be, you know, at least some positivity for him at the end. But, you know, some of the, some of these issues are going to be prolonged, you know, for possibly ever, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, that's what has become, you know, just is sort of taken it to another level, you know, is that like, again, went into it with this premise and thought, you know, he was going to, he was going to sort of pay off, come out of nowhere, just ultimate underdog and sort of paid off with success and kind of prove everybody wrong. But to your point, like no idea if that's actually going to go down or not. Like maybe he falls on his face and doesn't do very well. And I was sort of open to that, you know, like I didn't want that to happen, but I was also like, look, we're, the story is going to go wherever it goes and we're just going to tell it. And if he ends up being a cautionary tale, because it goes totally South, then that's the story, right? Like the, that's just reality. And that's what went down. And that's just as important and valid as, you know, the guy that wins rookie of the year and makes it right. There's, 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 you know, for every guy that makes it, there's a lot of guys that don't. So that would have been, you know, that would have been just what we did, but like what ended up unfolding, of course, never could have predicted it. And being there with him while it was going down was, was, it was, it was therapeutic. It was inspirational. It was empowering. It was important. You know, like he being able to see him as a young black man um, dealing with the events that were unfolding in the world and, and knowing he had a public following and a platform, you know, he's got, you know, a lot of Instagram followers and people sort of watching him, especially as the season went by, by the time it, you know, this, this went down over the summer, like he had 
you know, he was, he was on the map, you know, he had a voice, people were listening to him and, you know, we get to sort of see him navigate his way through that, like on, you know, in a pressure cooker, cooker situation where it's like, you didn't, you know, like it was on him now, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay silent or are you going to step up and speak? And if you do, you know, again, as a 20 year old guy, like it's a great deal of responsibility to, to say that you're going to step into the space of social activism, you know, and, right. and, and use a, use a platform to like speak intelligently about how you feel and what you think. And knowing that, you know, it could cause backlash or people could, you know, respond negatively to it or whatever. Every well, and the interesting a- thing, you know, it's not even that it's like, are you going to step up and speak? It's like, dude, people expect you to speak, right? If you have a platform. So then it's like, if you are, if you are a naturally sort of introverted person, I can only imagine the, the, essentially the demons you're dealing with, right? Because it's like, and not to say that he is, because I don't know that he is or not, right? I mean, obviously haven't seen this or, or know much about him, but, um, that's a whole nother set of issues. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, he is, he is, he's very private. He is, he is pretty introverted. You know, he's very, he's mental, you know, his game is very mental. It's also very physical, but you know, he is, he's, you know, he's sort of always thinking and rendering, you know, thoughts in the background. That's very much, you know, who he is, but it's, yeah, I mean, he, we get to see him, you know, step up and and find his voice and, and, you know, and navigate his way through that and does it, you know, I was very impressed, you know, with, with, with how he stepped up and, and who he sort of became. And it's, it's interesting too, because like for him, like what he leaned on was less about like, you know, his personality or, you know, his, his experience as a speaker or, a, a, you know, his experience as a leader on, on the basketball court. So I think that fed into it, but like more than anything, I think it was sort of the bedrock or the foundation that, you know, his parents laid for him. And, you know, that becomes a huge part of the story where it's like, here's also an example, um, again, of, 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 a, of a family of color, you know, and a, and a young black man who comes sort of of age and has this, you know, platonic family, you know, both of his parents together, very involved in his life, you know, breaking a lot of stereotypes of what people think, you know, it, it is that story because, you know, in the movies and other documentaries, like, you know, they focus on this sort of cliche version of that. Right. Or one of the parents isn't around and all, you know, all these sort of other issues that, that come up out of that. And that's certainly true for a lot of people, but like, you know, for him, it's not, you know, and it, it, it's a very different story. And like being a, being a young man of faith and a family and holding on to those values and using those values as building blocks to navigate the things that went on in the world. Um, that even just the disruption of, of the season and like, you know, a lot of people I think did get sidetracked by that. Even pro players were like, got sort of messed up a little bit of like, Oh, I got to take three months off or whatever in the middle of the season. Right Now I'm starting like off cycle and all these things. And like, you know, he had to roll with it and, and, and was able to sort of lean on his values and his traits and his, his sort of family foundation a lot which is you know really really inspiring i think it's you know it's it's good for a lot of young you know young adults out there to sort of see that to see an example of that i think it's really powerful 
Yeah, well, we'll we'll definitely uh, look forward to to watching that, and and when it comes out, I'll be sure to post uh, to the Makers of Sport Twitter account and, and Instagram feeds and whatnot. Um, so, so lastly, Dex, we'll wrap with this. Um, I had a former guest um, quite a few years ago who was an illustrator who who had told me on the podcast that someone had given him advice that you have to define what success is to you in, in order for you to know when you're successful, right? Because if we just go by the world terms, like some people view it as fame, some people view it as money, right? And even those two things aren't even mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may view it as like your own time. You're your own boss, right? I mean, you make enough to pay your bills, but you don't have to answer to anybody. So I'm curious for you, uh, both as a filmmaker and as a business owner, how do you define success? Fulfillment. You know, fulfillment really more than anything. Because I think the thing that I learned um, through my experience, um, you know, building Low York and, and being sort of the business guy and having a lot of success with it and, you know, getting a lot of credit for, for what we did, um, you know, a lot of original ideas and, and business models and stuff like that, that worked really well and, and, and paved the way in a lot of ways. But, you know, for me, what I, what I, what I realized later, like after I, I started directing and, and really shifted into a creative role was that like the thing that I was, and I wasn't hundred percent aware of it at the time, but like I was always very, there was some part of me that had a void that there, I was, there was a part of me that was really unfulfilled. Like, and it was at the height of like, you know, you know, we're in, in magazines and, and article after article and all these accolades and winning awards and people are patting me on the back going, oh, you know, you're such a smart business guy and you're running a great business. But it never really felt full to me. Like it was all, there was always something missing. I was kind of always like, yeah, but, you know, like I didn't know if it was like self-esteem or self-worth or like not allowing myself to be successful because I didn't think I was deserving of it. Definitely those are those are factors that play into it for me. But there was the other part of it was just like, I wasn't doing what I was put on this earth to do. Like just because I was really good at something doesn't mean that it's fulfilling. And going back to your point, like you can reach fame, you can reach, you know, wealth, you can reach, you know, these, these sort of, you know, not even superficial, but just like definitions of what you think success is. But like, if it's not fulfilling, if it's not really filling your purpose and your calling and, and, and what you were sort of born to do, then it's always going to be not enough. And it's always going to be like short of happiness and of, 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 you know, like, yeah, I keep saying the word fulfillment, but it's that it's like being fulfilled is a very gratifying place. I don't spend a lot of time there personally. Like I find fulfillment in moments and then, and then I'm, and then I'm looking for it again. Um, but fulfillment like truly defines all of it. It's, it's regardless of, of money or fame or status or whatever sort of statistics you put in place to say, okay, when I do this, I'm successful. Cause the truth is when you do those things and, and, and it's not fulfilling, then it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's all irrelevant. It's like, yeah, you could, you could, you know, if your goal is to put $5 million in the bank, you do that. And then what, you know, like, okay, I got the 5 million bucks, but like, I'm fucking miserable. My, you know, my marriage is a wreck and my kids hate me or, right. or I'm just not happy. And, and it's not it for me. It doesn't matter. You know, like the, none of those superficial goals are going to mean anything, but like 
when you're really fulfilled and you know in, in, in whatever capacity that is for you then there is nothing else that's great man that's that's good to hear uh great advice so lastly where can people find you and falcon on social media check out your work um my ig is just my full name dexton debris um uh, and then Falcon's IG account is, is Falcon content. Um, and then, uh, our website, you know, it's just falconcontent.com, Falcon with a K. Very cool. Well, man, I very much appreciate you coming aboard. Um, I, I, like I said earlier, I'm definitely like a layman at sort of trying to understand the inner workings of this, that, this side of the business, but as a designer, um, and as a fellow creative, like I really appreciate your work, uh, and really enjoy your work. So, so thanks for spending time on Makers of Sport and sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Honored to be here. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Dexton. My next guest is going to be Jesse Cavana. Jesse is better known online as at It's JCav. Uh, she's a designer, she's an illustrator, a sneaker painter, and a basketball junkie who is currently a senior designer for the Brooklyn Nets, where she's been for the last five years. I actually met Jesse early on in the founding years of Makers of Sport on Twitter uh, and discovered that we had some intersections uh, in our love of hoops, although she is a Duke fan, obviously, me being a Kentucky fan. You know, there can be some some arguments there, but we we both worked at a, a at the same college sports marketing company, although it was years apart. So um, in the meantime, you can find Jess on Twitter and Instagram at it's jcav. That's cav with a K. Uh, big thanks again to Dexon Debery for coming aboard the podcast. As he mentioned, you can find him on Instagram. It's at Dexton Debery. A link will be in the show notes, but it is D-E-X-T-O-N-D-E-B-O-R-E-E. -E, and his company is Falcon Content on Instagram, and then falconcontent.com. Past Makers of Sport episodes can be found in Apple Podcasts at makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Also on SoundCloud, Spotify, or the website makersofsport.com. If you enjoy the sponsor-free content coming from Makers of Sport and are interested in keeping it ad-free, you can support the show by becoming a member of the community at makersofsport.com slash community. So the community is basically a place for super fans. Um, in exchange for the fiscal support, you'll have access to additional and ever-changing content, such as private Q&As with future, former, and special guests, uh, monthly community video hangouts, as well as interact with, share private, trustworthy feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the Slack channel. You'll also receive a 20% discount on Makers of Sport products. Those products can be found at makersofsport.com slash store. Again, I've mentioned this previously, new designs will be coming. I am in the process on those. Uh, currently have been doing a bunch of uh, contract work for an NFL team, so that's kept me quite busy since it is the season right now, but hoping to get a, a, some brand new shirts up in the store and, and, you know, again, with the Makers of Sport brand, every dollar that comes into this company, it allows me to pour it back into the show uh, or, or into the brand, the Makers of Sport company, whether it's, you know, bringing content on Twitter, writing articles, uh, doing deep dive researches and bringing that educational sports design and, and creative content to, uh, to y'all for free. Lastly, please take one to two minutes, head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, click the five star and write about your positive experience with the show. This helps others like yourself discover the podcast and the value it brings educationally to people wanting to work on the creative side of the sports business. Um, if you do find your way in sports, I think that you should find a way to give back. And, and this show is one way that I try to give back to the community in this, in this uh, 
this niche of business that has, that has been so good to me and, and fed me and my family over the years. Uh, if you, when you like the show, it allows people that are looking for this type of content to find it. If you cannot support the show fiscally, these comments are a great way to show your support and love. I do read them all, and it and it helps to keep me inspired and keep me going. You know, there, there are ups and downs to running a podcast. It gets rough from time to time. It's hard to do these. You know, this, this particular show itself, I mean, I did about five hours of research, and then we recorded, and there'll be some post work. And and yeah, so, so one episode, uh, to create an episode like this, it probably takes about eight hours total, I would say. So anyhow, when you write me comments, I do appreciate those. It does help me to continue going because this is definitely a labor of love. Uh, like I said, any money that comes into the show goes back into helping me to spend time researching and and finding guests and then putting the show together and bringing out free as well. So I decided early on not to do sponsors and, and I'm keeping it that way no matter what, even though it's very enticing and I've had some, some, some offers. Uh, I do enjoy keeping the podcast sponsor free. So any likes or ratings on Stitcher SoundCloud or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening in will be accepted as well. Lastly, I am at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show on Instagram and Twitter is Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.